0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Good morning and welcome to The Morning Briefing for Thursday, October 25th, 2018. Yeah, you heard that right. Less than a week away from Halloween. You got your costume yet? I do. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to Mark Millay. He's a United States Navy veteran, Annapolis graduate, naval aviator, and now the founder of a company called Reformed Organics, which is using animal waste and food waste and turning it into energy. It's a pretty amazing process and a pretty amazing thing that he's having some great success with. We're going to talk to him about how he got into that business and about his Navy career in just a little bit. And then we're going to talk to Joseph Schinelli. He is the executive director of AMVETS, aka American Veterans. Or is it American Veterans, aka AMVETS? Either way, Joe Schinelli is the executive director of that organization, and he'll be here to talk to us about the latest and greatest items that AMVETS is focusing on within the veteran community. My Halloween costume, since I mentioned it, if you're wondering, I will be a prisoner. My son decided he wanted to be a police officer. And thus, my wife and I are going to be the two criminals. So we will have two criminals, one officer, and that officer's partner, a canine, a police dog. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And again, can you believe that Halloween is just under a week away? It's going to be Thanksgiving before you know it, and then Christmas is right around the corner. i got to start getting gifts for people. I say that now on October 25th, but we all know darn well that it'll be December 23rd and I'll be saying, I should really go get those presents for everybody for Christmas. That's the way that it works. Well, taking a look at the headlines, some pretty big news coming off of Capitol Hill that you may not have heard about because it's kind of buried a little bit inside of something else. So there was sweeping opioid legislation signed into law yesterday by the president. And within that is an act that's intended to strengthen the number of female peer counselors within the V.A., It's called the Women Veterans Peer Counseling Support Enhancement Act. It's sponsored by Senators Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts and Joni Ernst of Iowa. Senator Ernst, of course, a United States Army veteran. She's been a guest of the show several times before. And this act will ensure that the VA hires a sufficient number of female service members who are well-versed in the gender-specific mental health issues that women veterans face. The women will be part of the peer support program, an initiative that employs veterans with mental or reoccurring conditions to help others with similar conditions to identify and achieve specific goals in their life. So this is a pretty big thing that should make a difference for those women veterans out there. We did get a, uh, a quote from Colorado and Marine Corps veteran. Uh, so Colorado Senator and Marine Corps veteran, Mike Kaufman a Republican says the VA has been slow, to gear up for the growing role that women play in our military and the demands that their increasing numbers will place on the VA system when they leave active duty. My bill, now law, is a recognition of that, and it requires the VA to increase the number of counselors who are trained to specifically address the needs of the women who have served our nation in uniform. Is Kaufman a senator or a congressman? You know what? While I say that, I'm just going to look it up to make sure that I'm not wrong because I honestly... There's so many of them. Yeah, he's a representative from the House. So that's why he was saying, my act. Uh, obviously, uh, Senators Warren and Ernst were the two who introduced it in the Senate. He introduced it in the, uh, the legislation. It's a good thing. If you find anybody who says it's not a good thing that they are increasing the services for women at the VA, that person is either uninformed or just a fool. Because, again, one of the fastest, I believe the fastest growing segment of the veteran population is, is women veterans. They, uh, at, at one point, were well under 10% of the active duty military and, of course, thus the veteran community. Now they're closer to 14%, I believe, were the last numbers that I saw. So the fact that the VA is uh, going to have to do this now, I mean, this isn't the VA doing it on their own. This is legislation put up by, you know, Representative Kaufman, Senators Warren and Ernst. And now signed into law by the president within the opioid legislation that was signed into law yesterday. Uh, And this is a good thing. Now, there's one thing that I do question about this. And that's with the VA's wide ability of peer counselors, it says only about 16% of them are women. Here's the thing, if the female veteran population is like 14%, then isn't 16% kind of the right number? You would think, but obviously the people who introduced this, uh, including Representative Elizabeth Esty from Connecticut, uh, Congressman Kaufman, uh, Senators Ernst and Warren, you assume that they looked into it. And of course it's the largest growing and fastest growing population within the veteran community, so even if 16% of those counselors are women, which is higher than the percentage of women in the veteran population, you have to assume that it's going to continue growing, right? It's going to continue growing, so you need to be prepared for that. This legislation was originally introduced in 2017, so it took about a year for it to get through there. I think the big, uh, I, don't, I don't know, is it a negative? The thing that I look at this and I say, "Huh, well, it could have been done a different way. Why didn't the VA do this on their own? Could they have done this on their own? See, we don't know. We assume, like, why, why didn't the VA just hire more women counselors? Why do you need a law forcing them to do it? Well, was the VA able to do that? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question, and it's something that we'll probably be able to ask someone like Joe Schinelli about or other uh, people who are a little bit more expert in what goes on over at the VA. But the fact that so many laws are needed to make the VA do what seems to be just the right thing to do, doesn't make me feel good. The Blue Water Navy issue is one of them. They do not want to spend the money that they're going to have to spend to treat those sailors who were off the coast of Vietnam, who were never boots on ground, but were still affected by Agent Orange. They don't want to pay for that. They don't want to expand the services to cover those sailors. They've been very open about that. They're fighting it as strongly as they can. They're trying to get the politicians behind them, and they're trying to say, well, we can't test the water samples. Yeah, Well, you should have done it 40 years ago. You should have done it 50 years ago. Uh, You know, there are a lot of issues over at the VA and they seem to be straightening out some of them. The fact that this is buried within the opioid legislation doesn't bother me at all because the opioid legislation, uh, I would say, is incredibly important to the nation as a whole. It's not just important to veterans, of course, veterans have a massive issue with opioid addiction and prescriptions for things that you probably don't need opioids for, but that goes far beyond the military. This is something that is is—it's an epidemic across the country. There are communities that have been decimated by uh, these prescription medications being misused, being abused, being sold on the black market. There's a lot of problems with them, uh, and I'm glad to see that there's some legislation for that uh, getting it all well, getting it all straightened out. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Moving towards trying to address that epidemic directly—that's um, the kind of thing that you expect legislation for. This is a criminal acts that's happening here, oftentimes with the illegal sale of opioids, with prescriptions that shouldn't be made. That might not be illegal, but it's certainly you know a bit of a gray area when a doctor might be prescribing something that's unnecessary. That's something that you expect to need legislation for. Do you expect them to need legislation to hire more female counselors at the VA? And again, that number, you know, only 16% of the counselors are females. Well, only 14% of the veteran population are females. It's pretty close, actually. But they are growing and you're going to need more of them. So I think it's a good thing to get ahead of that curve, you know? where you're not going to be scrambling around five years from now to try and hire a bunch of people because you didn't predict that the fastest-growing segment of the veteran population would keep growing. I'd be, one, I'd be interested to know, and I'll have to ask the, the next time we have Steph Mullen from IAVA on, what is the expected cap of women in the military? And what I mean by that is they're the fastest-growing segment of the military, are women warriors, are they ever expected to be 50% of the military? I'd be kind of surprised and shocked if that ever happened, uh, just because of the nature of what the military is. But it's possible, I guess, you know? Like, what is... Uh, What is the future of women in the military as far as what percentage of the force they're expected to make up? Are they going to be 25% of the force, 30% of the force? I don't know. What I do know is they are growing and they are growing faster than any other group of veterans. Sticking with the Department of Veterans Affairs, very strange story that just didn't smell right to me from the start. And this is... The story about a uh, deputy executive director of the VA's Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. Do you think the name of that department is long enough? What's the acronym for that? V-A-O-S-D-B-U, I guess. I mean, I, I guess. They're Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization, so... I don't know exactly what that office would do. I guess they utilize small and disadvantaged businesses. For what purposes? I don't know. But the deputy director, David Thomas Sr., apparently for like over a a year, had a portrait of an old general hanging up in his office. You might be thinking, well, who was it? Was it General Patton? MacArthur? Uh, Schwarzkopf? Colin Powell, if you want to go a little bit more recently. No, no, it was Nathaniel Bedford Forrest. Nathaniel Bedford Forrest was a Confederate general, so there's already a little bit of a red flag, because let us not forget, yes, there has been a uh, coming back together of the United States, but the Civil War was an open rebellion against the government of the United States, and Nathaniel Bedford Forrest was on the losing side of that open rebellion against the United States government. Here's the other thing. Nathaniel Bedford Forrest is essentially the first grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. Now, David Thomas Sr., again, this is an official at the VA, uh, deputy executive director of the VA's Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. We're not even going to say it. We're just going to say a deputy director at the VA because that department name is ridiculously long and clunky. says he had no idea. says, well, I just like the portrait. I just liked it up there. Here's the question that I would ask of Mr. Thomas Sr. if I could. Have you not seen Forrest Gump? Because in Forrest Gump, Forrest talks about Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, one of the people who is one of his ancestors that he was named after, and then it shows him in the hood of the KKK. Now, I don't know too many people who haven't seen Forrest Gump. So the claim of... Uh, total ignorance here, just like, well, I didn't know who it was. I just thought it was a cool painting. Yeah, okay. There are certain things that you're not going to buy that with. And Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, I would think if you had a, a portrait of someone up on your wall and you thought, wow, I really like that, you might want to look into who that person is so that if anyone ever asks about it, you could tell them. Now, it appears that he knew it was Nathaniel Bedford Forrest. He's just saying, I didn't know he was the first Grand Wizard of the KKK. I had no idea about that. Uh, apparently, people have brought it up to him several times. Apparently, uh, at least one person who was very close to him, I think someone had said, uh, it may have even been his uh, spouse, saying that he probably shouldn't hang it up at work and him saying essentially, I don't care. I do what I want. I don't know if that's what he really sounds like. I'm not familiar with the gentleman. Uh, All I know is that there have been uh, quite a few instances related to the painting. People have brought it to his attention, yet he's continually just left it up there. Now has finally uh, taken it down, apparently been forced to take it down. Uh, He told, uh, when the story initially broke, he told the media, like, well, now I don't know what to do with it. I think it was the Washington Post who who first reported on that. Morning, Christian. How you doing? Um, This is... Just a bizarre story. That's like saying, you know, you have a picture of, well, I guess it's not the same. But if you had a portrait of Hitler up, I think people are going to take a little offense to that. You go, wow, I just like those Hugo Boss uniforms that he's wearing. I don't, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know who he is. Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, not quite on the same level as, uh, as say, an Adolf Hitler or a Joseph Stalin or, you know, Pol Pot. Go through any uh, leader that you want. But this is someone who, again, this is like a a point in in Forrest Gump, one of the most popular movies of all time. This is a historical figure that this guy's had a portrait of for years, and he never bothered looking into who it was. Good morning, Karina. hope you're doing well today. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I don't buy that you would have a portrait of a person, a general, someone who you can identify, and then who he apparently knew the name of and didn't bother looking into it? Because if you Google Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, guess what? KKK is going to be one of the first things that comes up. Also, Confederate General. He didn't see anything wrong with that either. You know? I mean, okay, if this was Robert E. Lee, who uh, does not have the ties to the KKK that Nathaniel Bedford Forrest does... A lot of disagreement over exactly what Robert E. Lee was all about. Even that, though, I I, I would see that as, like, not cool, not okay, you know? This is someone who took up arms against the United States. Why would we have their picture available in a VA building that has a phrase by the leader of the United States at the time, Abraham Lincoln, on a plaque outside the door of it? For he who shall in the battle... It, it's just, the whole story, it doesn't smell right to me. It do, I don't believe that this guy didn't know who that was. I don't believe that he never looked into it. I think he knew, and he just didn't care. And it may have been for the aesthetic value of the painting. That may have been his reasoning. am not saying the guy's a KKK member or anything like that. He may have really just liked this stupid portrait and liked the look of it and now claims ignorance as far as who the subject of the portrait is. I don't buy that. You can be honest about what's going on, and saying like, "Well, yeah, and I know who he is, but I really just like the look of it, and I guess I'll take it down now. Probably should have taken it down the first time that anybody uh, uh, looked, asked about it, or complained about it, or anything like that. Uh, it's just, it's not a good story, and it's not a good look for the VA by any stretch of the imagination. Here's another bad look, and this is in VA, the state abbreviation for Virginia." According to the Center for Public Integrity, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan investigative news organization in DC, looks into uh, you know, a lot of interesting things out there and tries to find corruption. Well, they say that a former staffer at a Virginia-based charity alleges in a new complaint that his former employee is bilking donors out of millions of dollars. And this is a veteran-focused charity that's specifically intended to help homeless vets. So the staffer is not doing this anonymously and I like it when that happens. Put your name on it. Stand up in front and if you're if you're right, guess what? Things are going to work out okay for you. If you're not, guess what? Things aren't going to work out okay for you. James C Edgar of Virginia has formally asked the IRS to revoke the nonprofit status for the Circle of Friends And for Americans, sorry, Circle of Friends for American Veterans and the Center for American Homeless Veterans. These are two nonprofits that are run by a retired Army major named Brian Arthur Hampton. They're based out of Falls Church, Virginia. The organization's Got telemarketers that apparently they've paid millions of dollars to raise money. They've been the subject of a months long investigation by the Center for Public Integrity. Attorney generals in New York and Virginia launched investigations of their own. They haven't yet commented on the status of the investigations. But again, you've got a staffer from this organization now openly and putting his name on it, going to the IRS and saying, hey, this is not a nonprofit. This is what uh, Edgar wrote to the IRS. Quote, using paid fundraising companies, Brian A. Hampton, the owner and president, has been paying himself hundreds of thousands of dollars from the millions of dollars the fundraisers generate. He also pays back to the fundraisers over 90% of what is raised. Virtually none of that money goes to any public purpose. If you claim you've raised a million dollars for veterans and you're spending 900,000 of that million to pay the people who raise the money for you, these telemarketing companies, and then keeping a large segment of everything else for your own personal paycheck, yeah, that's not gonna that's not gonna fly. And the IRS has responded to Egger's complaint in a letter that's dated on October fourth, uh, according to a document provided by Egger to the Center for Public Integrity. Uh, they're saying essentially, if an investigation is launched based on his uh, allegations, it could potentially take several years until the resolution of all tax matters. All right, so this is the guy who was – he was employed as director of programs for the organizations from February through mid-September of this year. Uh, Edgar also worked as political director for Put Vets First, a Veterans-Focused Political Action Committee, also operated by uh, Major Hampton, who's a retired Army major. Now, Edgar was fired, so you could say, well, this is just sour grapes from an employee. I guess it could be, but again – He has put his name on it. This isn't some, oh, get him back, anonymous thing sent up there. I never like those. I never like those. If it's something that you are willing to uh, raise the alarm about, you should be willing to do so with your face, your name on it. That's all. That's what I would do. I don't do anonymous. (laughs) Anonymous doesn't work as well, for one. And two, eh, it's the worst thing that's going to happen. You know, Edgar said he was fired because of a paid dispute involving a staff member who reported to Edgar. Uh, Hampton had told Edgar to cut back the hours of this person because the organization wasn't bringing in as much money, but Edgar authorized the pay for the person anyway. Probably because, if his story is to believe, he knew that the head of these organizations that are supposed to be raising money for homeless vets was really just raising money for himself. Um, and he also says in the letter to the IRS. While performing my duties, I discovered I was not providing any benefit to homeless American veterans, which is incredibly sad. We've talked to several organizations that are doing amazing things for veterans. We've talked to several homeless veterans who, after turning their lives around, have also gone back to help out their fellow homeless veterans. Now you've got this retired Army major that allegedly... And it hasn't been proven yet. And the IRS has not taken their nonprofit status away yet. And the investigations in Virginia and New York are still underway. So it's allegedly, but allegedly this guy's paying himself hundreds of thousands of dollars, given 90% of the money that's raised to the telemarketers uh, that actually raised the money. Not a good look, man. Not a good look. And very well maybe criminal if that turns out to be the case. So we'll see exactly what happens with it. We'll try to keep an eye on it. Unfortunately, with some of these stories, it does take a long time for it to unfold. You know? This isn't... um A murder case where you're going to see within a year basically the person go up. It's going to be a lot of financial investigations, but if what Mr. Edgar is saying is true, it should be fairly easy for them to identify uh, what money went where, who has that money, who doesn't have that money, who got it, who didn't get it, Uh, and as Joe Schinelli says on the Facebook live feed there, this is the kind of stuff that hurts the organizations that are actually doing great, important work, Uh, and that's absolutely true, because you know what? There are probably a hundred, and I'm just throwing out that number there. Let's say there's a hundred great organizations doing work for homeless veterans. How many of them are on the front page of NBC News? How many of them are being reported on by the Center for Public Integrity? None. Not a single one. You're hearing about this guy, again, retired Army Major Brian Hampton, who's alleged to have been taking a six-figure salary out of the money that he's supposed to be raising for homeless veterans and paying 90% of the money raised to the telemarketers and companies that he paid to raise the money. I mean, it sounds like he's just basically set something up where he can get paid and maybe give a pittance to the actual cause that he says that it's going to. Uh, Hampton has previously denied wrongdoing. Uh, apparently, NBC and the Center for Public Integrity reached out for him. No response to the request for comments. Here's the other thing. Is a, is uh, Along with being a broadcaster and journalist, I'm a trained public affairs uh, expert. That's not good. No comment or no response at all. That's not what you want to do. You want to say at least something because if you go all radio silent, guess what that looks like? Looks like you're hiding something. Looks like maybe you're getting ready to make a run for it. Looks like you know they've got you dead to rights. You got to put out some sort of statement. You do. And if you're ever in a situation like that, don't just put out the first statement that comes to mind. Ask somebody. Have some other eyes. Take a look at it. But this is... It doesn't look good for him. Again, none of this stuff is proven yet, but you've got a former staffer claiming all this stuff openly to the IRS with his name on it. When someone's willing to put their name on it and do it openly, again, you tend to take it uh, a little bit more uh, clearly and a little bit more um, seriously. Here's another serious thing briefly. At Fort Logan National Cemetery, 14 veterans who had passed away and were unclaimed, were laid to rest. This is out in Colorado, Fort Logan, Colorado. Fourteen veterans passed away, no family to bury them, no one to claim them. They were finally laid to rest by the government on Wednesday at Fort Logan National Cemetery. Some of those who passed away had been unclaimed for 40 to 50 years. It's one of those things that you know you hear about occasionally, you don't like to think about, but it's important that we do, and it's important that uh, you know we take care of them. And someone did. I don't know if it was the state government, the national government. He was laid to rest at the National Cemetery. So you would think the feds had, uh, had something to do with that in the VA. Um, glad to see that those uh, 14 shipmates of ours, those 14 brothers in arms, finally laid to rest. And finally, we talked about it yesterday. Sky penis over California by the United States Marine Corps copying the Navy. We did it first. We did it best. Well, guess what? Shock of all shocks, the Marine uh, marine pilots who flew the penis shape over the Salton Sea in California, uh, they're in some trouble. Yeah, they're being investigated by the United States Marine Corps for their phallic-like flight patterns, which were captured by GPS. All right, you're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. I am your host, Eric Dame. Coming up next, Mark Millay, United States Naval Academy graduate, naval aviator, Annapolis instructor. He's still living out in the Annapolis area and started a company called Reformed Organics, which takes animal and food waste and converts it into energy. It's One of those green businesses that's doing things the right way. And we're going to talk to him about how he's doing things the right way coming up right after this. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing from Entricom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we're doing. And I'll tell you why we're doing it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform. Just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off that last time. We know about the difficulties, the obstacles, the fears that you have when you get out of the military. And we're trying to help you overcome them through a variety of ways, including several Content avenues. Audio, you're listening to this, you know we got that. Video, articles, all sorts of amazing stuff available to you on connectingvets.com each and every day. And follow us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is a veteran of the United States military. He's also started his own company. Reformed Organics. And it's a company I first became aware of when he was awarded a significant amount of money on one of those giant fun checks. <laughs> His name is Mark Millay, and he is the founder of Reformed Organics. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Hey,
0: thanks, Eric. I wouldn't say it was a tremendous amount of money, but it was still a fantastic opportunity to get the word about about our small company and what we're doing.
1: It's more money than you had when you walked into that pitch competition. I'll say that, right? Absolutely. Hey,
0: (laughs) honored to be here. Thanks for doing what you guys do and helping us veterans transition into what can be a very scary world sometimes.
1: It certainly can. I mean, when you're in the military, you got a place to live, they're going to give you food, you've got everything you need, and then you get out and all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, there's there's not some dining facility or mess facility that
0: I can go to every day for lunch? Let's just say I missed the Navy's standard menu, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. The whatever
1: a la King on Fridays that was whatever meat they had left over from during the week. So, as you just gave away, you served in the United States Navy. Obviously made the best decision. I mean, you didn't join any one of those other weird forces you went into the good one clearly join the navy see the world yeah so tell us a little bit about your service you know where you're from when you joined and what you did while you were serving in the navy
0: sure so i'm actually a dc area native i grew up in uh, montgomery county uh which is just north here of d in dc uh and uh i was inspired to go to the naval academy by my seventh grade earth science teacher larry fullerton good shout out to him i just uh, caught up with him two weeks ago oh wow he retires from teaching after all these years um so I uh, went to the Naval Academy, graduated there in the great year of 1996. Uh, and I was I uh, I was I was privileged to be selected uh, as a naval aviator, specifically a naval flight officer. Didn't have the eyesight uh, when I graduated because I studied too hard as a midshipman. At least that's what I told my parents. And uh, I, uh, so I couldn't be a Navy pilot, didn't meet that 2020 requirement. Uh, but I was excited to be in the cockpit and join that community. So I went to flight school as a NFO, as we call naval flight officers. And uh, then was even more honored to be sl- selected to fly the F-14 Tomcat. So I flew the big fighter for uh, uh, once I finished flight school from 1998 until we retired that jet in 2006. Mm. Um, you know, that period of, of, uh, of our history was, was busy. Um, I was one of those guys who joined the Navy because I was inspired by aspirations of being an astronaut. Uh, and then the attacks of September 11th happened changed the course of my life like it did for all of us. I decided to stay in the the active war fighting Navy, uh, became a Top Gun instructor, and then uh, stayed in the strike fighter community for the next couple of years after the after September 11th. Ultimately, would fly the Tomcat until we retired it. Transitioned to the Super Hornet. Uh, in that time, made five deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, like we all have have, have done. And then uh, after a long deployment in Afghanistan in 2008 and nine, I wanted to do something more precise against our nation's enemies and. I put my name in the hat and got picked to work for a a Navy SEAL team as an operations officer for the next four years. Oh, wow. After four years of that, uh, you know, constantly on the go deploying with the A-team, really what will end up being the most impactful years of my entire life. I was exhausted, wanted a break, and uh, the Navy said, hey, thanks for your service and what you've done here. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to ride my bike to work. (laughs) So they said, hey, uh, how'd you like to teach the Naval Academy? For me, that was an opportunity to bring my whole career full circle. So uh, picked I packed up the bags from Virginia Beach, where I'd been living my entire career, moved to Annapolis, and uh, I ended my career as a political science instructor and also running the Naval Academy's Naval Aviation Training Recruiting Education, which was, for me was ending my service where it started, but also inspiring the next generation of midshipmen to want to follow in our footsteps as aviators
1: that's a, a varied career quick question for you when flying in the tomcat is kenny Loggins' danger zone just playing in the back of your head the entire time no
0: it's the, <laughs> it's the two you know two 40, pound total jet afterburning engines that are in your ears the entire time hence the tinnitus i have now <laughs> there you go which, yeah which leads a little bit of disability according to the va so no um it's uh you don't hear any kenny Loggins except <laughs> when you go to navy football games and they insist on playing that song over and over again we can't that, so that 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 uh, that movie. What thirty two years later? Oh, and they're making How a re- new one now. The new Top Gun, the I'm, reboot with uh, Tom Tom Cruise is going to be a Top Gun instructor, I think, in this one or something. Correct. Uh, and I have I have I am now sort of read into the script of the movie. Oh yeah. What uh, do you think? How's it looking? It looks fantastic. And let me okay. look. I I can't reveal too much. Okay. Um, the uh, I can tell you the F fourteen makes a return.
1: Oh wow! Well, there you go. Breaking it out of mothballs for the movie, the new new Top Gun, Tom Cruise. You know, he gets things done, that guy. Um, Working through a career like that, I mean, you were living the Navy life for a very long time. And just like it does for everybody else, got to come to an end in one way or another, at one point or another. Think back to that last day, the last day that you were serving. What were you feeling about that time? What did you expect about getting out and how did it actually work out for you?
0: Yeah, so for me, that was just uh, less than a year ago, uh, almost a year exactly, November 1st of 2017. And for me, I, I got to a point where um, I could stay in, I could go back to the, uh, any of the, the communities that I worked in previously, but I needed a new challenge. Um, it felt for me like I had reached, I'd done everything that I wanted to do, and I was going to go back to doing the same things over again and hopefully have the same wonderful experiences And I decided that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to take on a new challenge, break out of my comfort zone. And so for me, it was it was a not sad, but it was a uh, it was a uh, you know I I was it was a tearful day as if as if I was leaving a big group of friends Um, and and uh, and jumping into a the deep unknown of the civilian business world, not knowing that I would be building a business in what I'm doing today. So it was the unknowns that made it really, uh, you know, uncomfortable is, is the better word, not necessarily sad. For
1: other people who may be facing a similar thing, that feeling of uh, just not being comfortable, being like, well, I did th- I did one thing for so long, it just feels odd. What are some of the things you might recommend that help could help people get past those feelings?
0: Yeah, so I will first say, and I tell this to the youngest midshipmen, to even my peers who are still active duty now, the longer you stay in in uniform and the, the longer you stay in service to our nation the more skills you are building um, more the broader your network is the more marketable are the more marketable you are the more any medical school or business or your dad's trucking company is going to want to hire you so don't short your time spend as much time and build yourself as much as you're building your service in the service of your nation because you're building a resume and you don't even know it so for me i just got to a point where hey i've built that it's time to move on and it's time to apply all this so i'll tell i tell people uh particularly the younger guys and girls hey don't think that it's easy once you get out but it's going to be easier if you can if you build up your resume in the military Um, And then I tell them, you know, don't, don't, don't worry. It's going to be apprehensive. You're going to be anxious. There are a lot of unknowns where your, your anxiety comes from is, is from the fact that you have a lot of options. And I think that's what creates the anxiety amongst veterans is that we really are so talented across so many areas we can do so many things that that's what creates the anxiety. We're not we're not stove piped into certain things. And I yeah. think that the more time you spend on uniform, the more experiences you have, the more options you have. And then that's where you need to sit back, take a, have a couple beers with some friends, and figure out which of those areas you want to tackle.
1: Yeah, that's a good advice there. And I think uh, looking to your friends and fellow veterans, whether you join a VSO and go down to the Post and the guys who did yeah. it after Vietnam, I mean, there is no shortage of resources out there just within the veteran community for vets out there of course as uh, Mark mentioned he started his own organization and as I mentioned he won a uh, well a pitch competition through street shares that was at the military influencer conference in Orlando for his company, Reformed Organics. Before we talk about that that pitch competition, which was very cool, let's talk about Reformed Organics and exactly what it is. People hear the word organic, and they automatically assume food. Tell us about your company and
0: what role it plays within that organics industry. Sure, so, and I'm ex- thanks for asking, Eric. So, <laughs> so in, in America today, 22% of what we throw in our municipal waste is food waste. That's... It's amazing. 40% of the food waste that we produce in our country ultimately gets thrown away and discarded to landfills or it's incinerated to produce electricity for somebody. So this is a problem that our company, Reformed Organics, is tackling um, to prevent this waste from, um, from not being treated as the treasure that it is. At the same time, we have a farm animal waste problem in our country as well where animal manure that can, with high nutrient content, can contaminate water sources if it reaches it, we can take both those organic streams and we can process them into uh, valuable commodities using a process known as anaerobic digestion, which is basically uh, replicates the stomach of a cow to munch on organic waste and create a bunch of commodities on the other side, hence preventing food waste from going to a landfill or animal waste from running off into our sensitive waterways.
1: There are two aspects of that that are important. Of course, the the food waste, I am so guilty of that. We go to Costco and we get a giant thing of strawberries and we eat a bunch <laughs> of them, but then they start going bad. You know, we're a family of three. It's yep. hard to get through it. Uh, cucumbers, I just had to throw out a couple cucumbers the other day. So what do you? What would you like people to know most about what you're doing and how it might be able to positively affect uh, just life in general and, and, of course, America in particular?
0: Yeah, so I heard it uh, said recently that if food waste were a country – it would be, and we were measuring its greenhouse gas emissions, it would be the third biggest country on earth behind China and the United States. Wow. That's the, how, how large and complex our food waste issue is in America. So what we're doing is we're, we're simply taking a waste stream that has value, and we are using some ancient technology that the Navy has actually been R&Ding to produce renewable energy for forward operating bases for the Marine Corps. And we're now transferring that investment in R&D to local universities and colleges for food waste and local farms across the Chesapeake Bay watershed to handle animal waste because the technology is exactly the same. We just want to do some good in our corner of the planet to make life a little more sustainable while improving the bottom line of customers who are paying to take their waste away Hmm. when they can actually be making a return on processing their waste through our system. It's interesting.
1: You just mentioned the Navy and the Marine Corps. And on the website, it says born from the Marine Corps search for deployable, renewable energy systems. Is that how you first came into knowing about what they were looking to do in this technology? Or was it totally separate from your time in the military that you found out about it?
0: Totally separate from a time in the military. And this is the <laughs> this is what I came here to hopefully share with your, your veterans listening who were trying to figure out where their future is. You know, I was a physics major, undergraduate. I went out to be a naval aviator, worked for a SEAL team. I did all the stuff that all of us are doing, you know, multiple deployments to Iraq, Iraq, Afghanistan, everywhere in between. And nowhere in there was the word food waste ever used other than here's the defect you bring your food to and you put your, your – this is the place where you put your food waste in, right? So for me, it was getting out, recognizing that, uh, you know, I, have, I, I don't have any skills in – in food waste management, let alone sustainability, but I have a lot of knowledge in resource management. And I also um, decided I wanted to tackle um, and build a business in sustainability. This all came together for me on my terminal leave when I was on a hike in Idaho and hiked through a, a burn field through the Chalice National Forest with a friend who's a climate scientist. And on that trip, I'm like, I need to figure out what I'm gonna do in the next phase of life. Decided to build a business, sustainability, if I can hire veterans, military spouses along the way, fantastic and I want to do it out of uh, Annapolis, Maryland, which is where I'm currently living. Came back to Annapolis, I began looking at food waste and the challenge of composting and then through conversations with people around my own town, was reminded that the Naval Academy was R&D'ing through the Navy a biodigester to process midshipman food waste into electricity. Before I knew it, I'm having breakfast with these guys I'm interning with them learning the technology and mm. boom now we're uh, we're applying for a state grant and they're now my partners in business And what is that business like? I mean I think most people think
1: about something like this when you're talking about essentially recycling they think of it as more of a, a government or state controlled industry. How is it working out for you as far as the business
0: aspect of it goes it's working it's working out really well. Um, I'm finding that um, there is a niche for my industry that is food and farm waste recycling much as there is in a lot of sustainable businesses in america in distributing the capabilities um i think gone are the are the the days where waste management as the billion dollar company has the solution to everything and i think that we as veterans come with really unique solutions that are born from the battlefield where we didn't have the waste management to solve our problems where Mm. marines are used to dealing with their poop pits you know and you know what i mean I mean, there, where's waste management there? We came up with creative solutions that weren't always pretty, but we learned a lot. And I think that's where the space for veterans and sustainability has a lot of opportunity right now. In that industries, businesses, uh, municipalities, little towns are all looking for innovative solutions to save them money. And they're not going to find them from the big corporate giants out there. They're going to find them from veterans with great ideas.
1: How do you recommend someone who says, you know what, this renewable energy and this whole uh, basically world of of business that's out there, it's still fairly new. How do I get involved in that? Is this as simple as just paying attention to what's going on around you? Should you actively be seeking out stuff like that? How do you go about
0: it? You know, that's the million dollar question. And for me, it was um, learning during my career that success comes one door at a time. And it's one step at a time. No, nothing magically gets presented to you on a plate or in a, in a dream. You know, things are, 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 your opportunities are built one step, one plateau at a time. As you exit the service, think about the, what you, the area you want to get in. Get involved in that, in that field. Talk to as many people as you know in your network. Get out there. Go have coffee with everybody that will, that will hear your ideas. And then listen to them. Don't be the one talking. And then take their recommends for connections and then connect to those people and to those people. As far as tools, nothing replaces sitting down with someone face-to-face. Don't think that the electronic tools of Facebook and LinkedIn are the panaceas, but they're very helpful. But get out into your community, focus on the area, and go one step at a time to another step at a time to another step at a time. and have a. You're going to begin to build that vision and you're going to begin to figure out what plateau you want to get to next. But take it one small step at a time and, and have a vision, but don't expect it all to be given to you. People will help you along the way, but you're going to need to build it yourself. But leverage your network of people and do it in person. We're speaking with Mark Millay. Mark is the founder of Reformed Organics. As I
1: mentioned, you just won a pitch competition at the Military Influencer Conference through Street Shares and Mark Rockefeller. You were up against a brewery. So, a guy making beer. Yeah, right. A baker making baked treats. And then you come up and you give your presentation to the crowd about food waste and cow manure, essentially. Were you surprised that the people who were there, who actually got to vote on the people who made the pitch, were you kind of expecting them to go for the, the possibility of free beer, some cookies or something like that? How did that feel?
0: Up to the very second that the voters revealed, I, I thought. And I, I first got to give a shout out to Keith of Haint Blue Brewery mm-hmm. and Olandria from Henny Penny's Patisserie, who are fantastic people and their business ideas are better than mine. You know? <laughs> and they are they are doing wonderful things in their in their own worlds. And I got off that stage after all three of us and thought they both they smoked this pitch contest. And I thought there's, you know, I did the best I could, stumbled across some words, but man, they have got a good thing going. So we were humbled when the crowd voted for for us. Um, I, I I guess I sometimes forget how innovative and um, novel what we're doing as a young veteran company. So yeah, the fact that a a, a a company in poop and food waste beat out a brewery and a cake maker, that blew me away as well. And we're humbled by that. And I think that should encourage veterans out there who are listening to Hey, if you got a great idea, boy, even if it's brewing and cake making, you know, there is space for all of us. And people want to support you and your small team, even if it's just you. Um, They'll get behind you. You just got to get the word out.
1: Of course, along with the money and that big check. Quick question for you, those giant checks, do you actually get to
0: take that to the bank and yeah. hand that to them? Because yeah. how fun would that be? Yeah, so it's real awkward to get that thing in the <laughs> overhead on Southwest, by the way. It doesn't fold up as well as you think. You gotta like crunch it over like five times. And then if people in the plane are like, Hey, is that a big check? And you're leaving Orlando, they're like, That is Vegas might make you know sense, but you know, leaving Orlando, I got a lot of questions. But that's that was awesome because that led to a lot of conversations even on the flight, as far as, as getting the word out. And part
1: of the uh the, the victory came with and actually I think uh everybody who made it to that that final three Conversations with someone who is a uh, well a very successful entrepreneur out there. That of course being Jim Cook, the founder of the Boston Beer Company. Sam Adams. He was one who actually presented you with the check. You got the handshake from him. You got to talk to him, and they're basically going to provide some mentorship for you. Has that already begun, or is that something that
0: you're still looking forward to taking advantage of? So yeah, Jim Cook is awesome. He and is. <laughs> uh, you know, you had I think while we were behind the scenes, you were up there with Mark Rockefeller. Maybe it was Mark interviewing him. Right Um, about his experiences so uh the answer to your question is that process is just beginning i just uh at street shares in reston which really sponsored this whole contest the award was sponsored by them uh, well hosted by them sponsored by boston beer um they uh they held an event over there and i got a chance to sit down with uh, the head r&d brewer for boston beer named jim carlton who um Jim, if you're listening, thanks for your initial help, and I look forward to talking more about how we, our little industry in organic waste management, can help a giant uh, in this space like Boston Beer to process their organic waste. So, the you know, it's just it's amazing how life works out. And I'm standing there on stage with Jim Cook, and he's telling me about his wife's work in clean water and mm. all of her initiatives. And, uh, I'm looking forward to learning about more of what they're doing because our world in organic waste management has a lot to do with cleaning up white wastewater. Um, so you never know where all these conversations and opportunities are going to go. And it may have nothing to do with beer. It may have everything to do with water with that, in that relationship. But, um, yes, that, that, uh, mentoring relationship, uh, I'm really looking for, our team's really looking forward to, cause that hopefully will continue to open up the next door to the next door. When you get to an event like that or any place else where veterans
1: congregate, you, you find out some interesting things, you learn some things. Has the veteran community been helpful to you since starting Reformed Organics?
0: You know, uh, that is the best question of the day. And the answer is overwhelmingly yes. Um, and I will say it's over. It's on you for those veterans who are out there who have small business ideas. It's on you to get out in the, into the, and to find those pockets of veteran support that are out in different areas of the country. And they're not everywhere. I live in Annapolis. There's absolutely no veteran small business community. At least that's, that's coordinated. And I, I would argue that in Maryland, it's not very well coordinated. Washington, D.C., tremendously uh, co- like a coherent community, whether you're Bunker Labs, your Capitol Post, your you know, street chairs in Northern Virginia. It's just a very rich, di- diverse community. So as if for veterans out there, get out there and find those pockets and make the 45-minute drive and connect to people. Those, and you're going to be plugged into a very mutually supportive community that will help tie you back. It's, it will treat you like you are active duty again and on a team And where everybody really does want to help each other out. And you're going to see the differences between the veteran small business community and the non-veteran business community where it can be dog-eat-dog you're gonna find that there's sometimes some unethical, you know, folks out there, the snake oil salesman trying to take advantage of you. Leverage your veteran network to, to help you make those initial smart decisions. I also want to give a plug for a program I went through that changed my life, and that was the Patriot Boot Camp, which is another USAA-sponsored program. Um, USAA sponsors only a few veteran transition programs. This one is hosted nationwide in big cities, and it's fo- it's focused on um, helping veterans, military spouses, and active duty figure out their next steps in, uh, in building a small business. It's tech-focused. It's kind of an incubator. But it really gave me the confidence to, as I got out of this active duty world, to get into the poop and the, fo- and the food waste <laughs> business. You know, And it, it gave me the confidence that I can do this and that, I, I, and that there are resources out there that were going to help me out. And sure enough, around the country, I found that the Veteran Small Business Support Network is very strong.
1: It is. And you know what? To be sure and to be honest, there are those snake oil salesmen even within the veteran community. But the good thing is, if you talk to enough members of the veteran community, you're going to figure out who those they are will call pretty them out. darn Or oh, They quickly. point them out real fast. Oh, they do. And sometimes there's just some uh, dislike and distrust between individuals that builds to stuff. But if you pay attention and you keep your eyes and ears open, you're going to learn a lot. And we've learned a lot today about reformed organics. But Mark Millay, founder of the organization Navy Veteran made the right choice talked to all these guys who went to like west point and colorado springs it's like you could have gone to annapolis lived (laughs) on the ocean i mean and you chose one of that was the navy full i don't know what was going on but if people want to find out more about reformed organics
0: how do they go about doing that is there a website to go to or what's the best way yeah so our website's uh just www.reformed.com with the letter four not the letter f we have a great facebook page that's just uh reformed organics uh that you can follow all of our adventures on day in and day out. Look forward to hearing from people, even if it's veterans who are interested in how to build a business and want to hear other more details about our challenges. Or if you're interested in buying a farm or food waste digester, please give us a call. <laughs> well, there you go. And it's reformed,
1: the full word reformed, with the four just replacing the F, so you still have the O-R-M-E-D. When I looked at that, I thought to myself, why isn't it just reformed just the foot? And then when I did that and deleted the O-R... Reformed didn't look quite right. That doesn't like in, sound right. In my head, it it was like, well, it makes sense. And then when I actually looked at it, it didn't. But what Reformed Organics is doing makes a lot of sense. And we want to thank Mark Millay for coming in to talk to us about it and wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors and with the, uh, the help that's going to come from Jim Cook and the Boston
0: Beer Company, all the rest of that. Yeah, thanks, Eric. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, Beat Army. Welcome back to The Morning
1: Briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is the slogan, and ConnectingVets.com is where we're doing it. But we're also doing it on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And... I think the highlight of just about everybody who's ever seen its day is the Morning Briefing Facebook Live segment at 7.15 every day. If you follow us, you can wake up looking at me, which is pretty glorious. I mean, I, people honestly should be paying for the privilege of doing that. Don't you agree, Joe Cinelli? Absolutely. I love to wake up with Eric. <laughs> he used to wake up around the same time as me back at the Defense Information School when we were in the same class with Staff Sergeant Brian Satan, I mean Sutton. At... It was his birthday yesterday. Oh, Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Satan. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm sure he's a nice guy, just as an instructor when you're a young sailor. Joe was my classmate back then, but now he's the executive director of American Veterans, a.k.a. AmVets, one of the largest... And the most inclusive of the major VSOs out there. And Joe joins us every Thursday, or a representative of AMVETS, to talk about the latest and greatest issues taking place there. And I just noticed that tie. Not only do you have an AMVETS tie tack on, it's an AMVETS tie. So I'm counting 30, 40 logos for the AMVETS organization just on your tie and decorations alone. Oh, then he's got his uh, uh, he's got his little badge. Does that give you arresting authority or anything?
2: I think it does. Oh, yes. There you go. That's all. That's
1: as long as <laughs> you think it does from here. Then you're good to go. So, of course, Joe is involved in uh, pretty much everything that affects veterans, and particularly in Washington D.C. That's where you're based out of, which is where the headquarters of the VA is. So, a good place to be when you're dealing with veterans issues. As I understand it, you have some concerns about something related to the VA and their budget slash funding. And that has to do with some remarks made by the president where he says every cabinet member is going to have to cut their budget by 5%. That cabinet includes Secretary of the VA, Robert Wilkie. So what did you think when you heard that?
2: Obviously very concerning. So I had a a meeting yesterday with some of the senior leadership over at VA to ask about that. They have received no details from this uh, yet. Uh, They're very concerned about it as well. Of course, they want to – if they're appointed by the president. They, they wanted, Their job is to do what the president wants them to do, but they're very concerned that 5% uh, cut the budget, really any percentage of a cut right now in the VA budget with all that's happening, especially with the Mission Act and the expansion of community care, would, would be devastating to veterans. We would ha- I'm not exaggerating here. We would have veterans dying uh, because of lack of health care if there had to be a cut. Uh, The president's been on the campaign trail. Now uh, he's doing different big rallies in cities all over the country every night again. So he has said a few different things, and this this was something he has said a few times now uh, to address the growing spending and the deficit that he has ordered, as you said, everyone in his cabinet. So every agency within the federal government that's run by the administration has to cut by 5 percent. In the past, this has happened uh, under President Obama. Uh, he made a very similar announcement twice, but both times he left the VA off that list. He let, made them exempt. Uh, we're calling on the president to do the same for the VA. We, we think it's the, not only the only right thing to do here, we think it's really the only option right now. And the president talks a lot about his support for veterans. We take him at face value on that. We have uh, throughout his, his time in office and as a candidate. Um, and so we, we really need the president to make it clear for, so veterans don't have to worry about this, that veterans will be exempt from this cut.
1: Has he given any specifics as far as what he how he plans to do this? Has he said anything about uh, the VA one way or the other? Or is this, at this point, just one of those kind of vague campaign statements that politi- that politicians make or vague statements that a president can make about something that he's planning to do but doesn't quite have the uh, the plan in place for yet?
2: So the specificness of what he has said is that every member of his cabinet, um, and he has used the word every each time he has said this, uh, he has not said anything specific about any one um position or any one um entity of the administration uh, so but again the president Obama, the first time he did first when they first made the announcement they said across the board and then they walked that back and they actually took they said dod only had to face about half the cut and va would not have to face any of the cut uh we think uh, that that's again should be the way we understand the va is is growing. It's a $209 billion budget. It's the second biggest budget in the government behind the Department of Defense. But we think right now, this critical time, when we're still seeing 22 veterans die by suicide every day, this is not the time to be cutting the budget.
1: No. And there are also some things that may be coming down the road, which may actually uh, increase the financial stress on the VA. When we talk about Blue Water Navy, there's legislation for that, that the VA is kind of fighting tooth and nail because they say they don't have the money for it. They also say, well, we can't test the water from 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, well, should have done it 40, 50 years ago then, shouldn't you? Um, what do you see as uh, the best and worst case scenario outcomes when it comes to this? If he doesn't ask the VA, if he, if he exempts the VA, uh, what happens then? If he doesn't, what do you think actually happens? I mean, you said veterans dying on the streets, essentially.
2: Well so you have to figure out where can cuts actually take place. Right now I'm not not exaggerating here we don't see a place where you can safely make cuts. And I'm not saying that there's not waste. There's always waste in something that's 200 billion not 209 billion dollars huge. Yeah. So but you're not going to make up more than 10 billion dollars in cuts. By what they've already done too is you know reduce the number of um housekeeping for instance. You know, you are not going to able to make small cuts like that and have it add up to 10 billion dollars you're going to actually have to reduce community care so one of the president's one of his proudest points that he hits on every night at these rallies is the mission act and being able to have veterans receive their care in their communities if that's what's most convenient and most efficient you will have to lose that in a big way if they made the cuts
1: how does it work when you've just signed the VA's budget into law? Basically, you've said that this is the VA's budget. Is he talking about then for the next fiscal year?
2: So that's our assumption, but that's all it is right now, um, is an assumption. And, you know, kind of candidly, the, the way that the president has worked here uh, throughout this past several months now, he makes some of these remarks, he, he kind of makes an announcement. Uh, at these rallies or on Twitter. He's kind of walked that back a little bit lately. But he'll make these announcements, and then it's reverse engineered. So now his administration has been given the goal, and now they've got to figure out a way to make it happen. Um, It's just happened last week. They said we're going to have a 10% cut for taxes for the middle class. He made that announcement. Washington Post calls the administration officials immediately, and they're like, actually, we have no idea how how we're going to do this. And then two nights ago, they announced how they're going to do it. So we're worried that's going to be the same thing here on this type of cut. He announces it, and now his administration has to figure out how to make it happen.
1: One way I think they might be able to save that $10 billion is get rid of this ridiculous VAID card that nobody still has. Have you gotten yours yet, Joe?
2: I still have not, but... It- be fair to the VA, and this does not cost the VA anything, as we know Office Depot is paying for it.
1: Right. Okay. So, uh, well, I guess we're not going to save the $10 billion there. <laughs> However, we are also a year away, almost. We're like two weeks short of a year, because it was Veterans Day last year that they launched this, wasn't it? I believe it was like right around Veterans Day. If yes. Not oh, yeah, Veterans absolutely. Day. You're right. So we are coming up on like two weeks out from one year and they can't get these stupid VA ID cards that are paid for by Office Depot. You know, you say they're not going to find $10 billion. I don't know, man. I mean, the more I keep learning about the VA, I keep thinking there's got to be uh, quite a bit of saving that they can do over there with that fraud, waste, and abuse stuff
2: that Maybe goes Maybe less artwork of Confederate soldiers on Let's the walls. Let's talk about
1: that because you deal with the VA. We talked about that in our previous segment, and as, uh, as we walked into the studio, we were chatting about it. I don't buy that this guy didn't know who Nathaniel Bedford Forrest was on this portrait painting that he had up on the wall for years. It's a Confederate general. Apparently he knew the name of the guy and just never bothered to look into who it was. That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever.
2: No, I don't personally know this this person who had this portrait up. Uh, My understanding is he had it up on his wall in his office for several years. Um, Some of the staff who work around his office realized what that was about a year ago and my understanding is they told him hey that's offensive you should take it down he believed according to the va that that was because of an objection to having a confederate soldier on the wall not necessarily because of what this soldier ended up doing terrible things he ended up doing later in life uh leading the kkk um but my understanding is they've made that clear to him, and it, it took him a long time and actually took some action by the union to officially notify him that he was way wrong here before it was oh, yeah. taken down. Now, the union says this is not over. The VA says it is. It'll be interesting, uh, as a lot of things have happened here in the last year or so between the union and the VA. I'm sure this will end up in court in some way.
1: Uh, now. Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, of course, Confederate general, first Grand Wizard of the KKK, did eventually renounce the KKK and and his old ways, apparently. Uh, for what purposes? I don't know. I don't know if it was for political expediency or what the case was. This was uh, a, a big guy. He was an important person. He was a general, and then he was this, he was that. Um, that doesn't really matter, though. I've seen people bringing that up like, well, he renounced the KKK later in his life. Okay, and? Well, what's your point? This is someone who was the grand wizard of the KKK, which, again, it's it's you, you lose the uh, argument. They say, what is the law? Is it Schrodinger's law on the Internet? First person to refer to Hitler loses the argument. But, you know, if Hitler had survived and renounced the Nazis ways, like, eh, so what? He's still Hitler. You know, this is this is a guy who was the top dog, the first top dog at the KKK. You don't get to uh, then. Renounce it and uh, you get to live your life. Certainly wasn't put to death or anything like that. But people shouldn't be hanging your portrait in government offices for a couple of reasons. One, you were the head of the KKK. Two, you were a military officer who took up arms against your nation in a revolution and failed and lost. Had they won that war, guess what? Then his portrait would probably be up a lot of places. They didn't, so it shouldn't be. Not in a government office like that. And again, I just don't buy that this person didn't know. I, As I said in the first segment that I think you heard on the Facebook Live video of it, you never saw Forrest Gump? That's who he was named after. It's a very, it's, it's a memorable part of the movie. I remember it. It's early on in the movie. Anyway, we're speaking with Joe Schnelli, executive director of American Veterans, a.k.a. AmVets. You know, speaking of veterans, there are quite a few of them running for office in these midterm elections. AMVETS is not in the business of uh, endorsing candidates, supporting candidates. Uh, You are in the business, though, of, you know, uplifting veterans. So let's talk about the number of veterans that are running for office and what difference they could make. First off, I've seen the number of, is it like 100? Yeah, 172 veterans. Okay, some of them are fringe candidates. There are people, there are veterans running for office that are almost like, uh, what was the uh, the Pants on the Ground guy? The guy who was like, pull your pants up. That was his party. There are some <laughs> who don't really have a shot, but there are quite a few who have a really good shot at making it into uh, office on Capitol
2: Hill. sure that guy with um, Pick Up Your Pants, or, I met him in Atlanta. He showed up to a, uh, a VSO convention. We really? Was he a veteran? Uh, I don't believe he was. Oh, I was going to say, we he, can get he, him uh, on the show. I That'd think he weird. had some brain damage, too, but a uh, nice Ooh, guy. Yeah.
0: But,
2: <laughs> well... So the big difference between this and normal – because 172 sounds like a big number. It is a big number. But it actually isn't that much of a larger number than normal. Hmm. What the key here though is that almost all of these people have actual major party backing. There's only one independent of the entire crew. All the rest have won primaries and are either running as a Republican or as a Democrat. Uh, in, in fact, 62 are running as Democrats, 109 of them are Republicans, and then the one independent. So these veterans actually have a much better chance of actually winning than they have in the past. Hmm. Now, 67 of them uh, are already in office, they're incumbents, and they're running for re-election. So that's 67 of the 172. So we're still looking at more than 100 new new veterans to the you know, And a lot of them have a really good chance of winning, I think. Yeah. The polls show uh, the 14 women veterans who are running, that nine of them are, are favored by a good number in the polls right now. Yeah. So we have a real impact coming here, we're hopeful. Uh, again, as you said, I can't reiterate this enough. We're not supporting or opposing any of these candidates, but we think it's really important for the veterans community to understand that they're out there. And there are a lot of studies that show veterans who are in Congress are much more likely to challenge their own party leadership when they feel it's appropriate and then rather than just following along. And they're they're more likely to be able to work with the other side. And I think we all, all of us, especially here in the advocacy community, real, really feel the bipartisanship is what's necessary for us to move forward.
1: You know, when you talk about uh, the ability to stand up to their party, I think of a uh, previous guest of the show and future guest of the show who uh, last I was looking was uh, – you know, as close to a sure thing as it gets in his race down in Houston. Dan Crenshaw, he's a retired SEAL officer, was on death's door, lost his eye to an IED, almost lost the second eye, uh, came back uh, essentially to life, came back to the SEALs, deployed again. This is not a guy who's going to uh, just do something to do it because he was told to. You know, this is someone who uh, is going to stand up for what he believes in. Same with someone like Chrissy Houlihan, who's, of course, uh, Crenshaw's a Republican. Houlihan's a Democrat running on the, uh, the suburbs of Philly. Philadelphia. These are people who, uh, at least the way that they've presented themselves to me and what I've read about them and what I've seen from their actions in the past, these are people who are willing to take a stand uh, against even the people that they are, happen to be affiliated with. Is that something that you, you you think they can add to the political climate on Capitol Hill, which currently is majority, uh, you know, I'm sticking with my side on everything. Otherwise, we're not going to get anything passed.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. We, we really believe that. Um, again, there's a lot of studies out there that show that those who are military veterans um, right now um, have a much better willingness and ability to build work across the aisle. Um, you know even if every single one of these veterans were running wins, we will still be way behind when we were in the 1970s. In 1970s almost 75% of Congress were were military veterans. And I bring that up because the part the the deep partisan divide wasn't there at that point like it is now. Mm. And I I personally, it's just my opinion, I think that's part of why we are so divided. We have so many people in, in Congress who have never served, and you know are very specific to their own demographics of their own communities. They haven't really uh, had to work with people uh, of all different backgrounds like you do in the military.
1: That's another thing that the uh, the candidates and the uh, those all already in office have talked about. It's. Uh, Something I think Brian Mass said to me, like, you know, when I was uh, working for the Army as an EOD technician, I, I didn't care about what the political leanings were of the person next to me. I had to work with them. It didn't matter if I liked them. It didn't matter if I loved them. We had to work together and do that. How do you think the uh, an influx of veterans could change the climate on Capitol Hill? Do you think it's just them interacting with each other, or do you think it could spread to other people?
2: I, I believe it's contagious. I, I believe it has a very good chance of being of spreading and becoming a more positive uh, place. It's hard to imagine that at this point, but I think leading by example is what veterans, we, we understand that's an important thing to do. And if we're leading by example on Capitol Hill in that way, other people will see it, they'll see the value, and they'll follow suit.
1: We're speaking with Joe Schinelli, executive director of AMVETS. American Veterans is the full name, but you probably know them better as AMVETS. And we're talking about the current race's Uh, The current political races that are taking place, Uh, of course, we're just, what, less than two weeks away from the elections now. Sure,
2: and early voting started this week, and absentee ballot, uh, this is the final week for absentee ballots, especially if you're overseas. I know you have a, a, a good number of active duty listeners and people listening all over the world. If they want to vote, they can still do that this week.
1: What do you think uh, a party shift, if that happens? Again, uh, both sides saying, yeah, we're going to be, the Republicans saying, we're still going to be in charge. Democrats saying their blue wave is going to take everything over. Hypothetically speaking, let's say the Democrats do, uh, you know, take control of the House of Representatives. Senate is not looking all that likely from what I understand, but the House, it's looking like it may be a possibility that would mean changes in the leadership of every committee where you, uh, you know, you currently have Republicans leading the committees because they hold the majority if the Democrats take it over. What would that mean for veterans if the Democrats take over leadership of uh, of the House Veterans Affairs Committee specifically?
2: Sure. So we're going to see change no matter what. Uh, there's a, a large number of sitting members of the House committee and the Senate committee. Um, who are leaving office, uh, one way or the other, they're either running for another office or they're retiring. Um, one, one way or the other, they're, they're going to, there's going to be change. Um, and I think the change is a lot heavier on the defense side. Uh, so we are focused uh, very much so on the veterans, uh, but we also keep track of what's going on in defense because those those guys will eventually become veterans. Uh, of course, um, the House Armed Services Committee, has 12 members who are going to be leaving. So that's almost half of their entire committee. Um, If the Democrats control the House, there's going to be even more changes. There will be changes either way. But again, if the Democrats take control, um, they have promised to reduce the base Pentagon budget, uh, to eliminate uh, overseas contingency spending, and they want to, quote, achieve a smaller force structure through gradual attrition. So what we're seeing right now with this administration is uh, as overstretched as the military is, they are growing it. Um, Now, the the military is overstretched by policy as well. And so the Democrats are talking about changing that policy. But the Democrats are talking about shrinking the military. um, The Republicans are talking about continuing to growing the military. Uh, So obviously a significant difference uh, between those two things. Um, On the House Veterans Affairs Committee and the Senate – I've said this many times, they're the two best committees on Capitol Hill. It's really where the only real bipartisan work is taking place. Um, now, come, push comes a shove, uh, closer to uh, the presidential election time in particular, and where some sometimes where the president was really hoping for some big political wins. We saw some partisanship, but in, in general, there's been a lot of bipartisanship. We think they'll continue. Uh, we think... If there's a change, it'll mostly be in some of the social issues, um, in particular women veterans, um, transgender, um, some of those things as well. Um, They'll become more of a focus of the Democrats take control. Um, I, I don't actually think it will impact the VA much one way or the other, but I think it has significant impact on the military.
1: Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is essentially, you know, uh, the shrinking of the military if the Democrats take over, continued growth if Republicans stay in charge there. Of course, you would need both uh, both the House and the Senate to make significant uh, changes, but there would be movement one way or the other, depending on who's in charge of each. Um, the thing is, the stretching thin of the military, that's not going to change. Our operational tempo is going to stay about where it is right now. Uh, just more will be demanded of fewer people if the force is cut. Uh, if the force has grown, then it, will we at some point reach uh, the the required manning to keep that operate top tempo uh, without stretching people thin? That's an interesting question.
2: Sure. And the, the Democrats talk specifically about operations that are taking place in Niger and Yemen. And that it's not well publicized, but we actually have a lot of military over there. And we should be the, I want to say publicized role that we have over there is training and equipping where we're helping them build military, helping the good guys, so to speak, hmm. m- build their militaries. But we actually are out in the, f- out front a lot more than I think the average American realizes. And so th- that's something that the Pentagon says, Hey, we've got this under control and we, we don't need congressional intervention and oversight. Congress says, "Hey, that's our job. Uh, and I should say that the Democrats are saying, Hey, that's our job. And they want to increase that kind of oversight. So the Democrats, you think they can have the military less stretched, um, How that relates to national security is yet to be seen something that Congress would need to look at.
1: We all know the only real way to fix Capitol Hill is to install me as president for life with uh, full authority
2: and then everything gets fixed. With Paul Ryan retiring, I mean, there is a position open over there. He's president for life. No,
1: I need I need, no, I I need dictatorial speaker. powers because I'm a nice guy. So I'm not going to abuse it. And of course, that's what I say now. Give me the power and then we'll see what happens. But of course we all have power in our hands and in ourselves with voting. Absentee ballot voting is coming to a close soon and you've got uh, early voting taking place. Uh, what can people do to find out where they can vote, how they can vote if they're not going to be able to do so on election day itself?
2: Sure. So I'm, actually really encouraged by all the social media platforms out there right now are helping get people registered to vote. Uh, in most places though, it's not too late to vote or register to vote. Mm. Uh, although several States allow day of voting, not all all do. If, if you're going to register day of voting, if you haven't registered, it, it's worthwhile looking into uh, look at your state websites, but every County in the United States has a board of elections. If you just Google your County's name and board of elections, you'll get all the information um, in Some states, like in Maryland, um, you'll have to, in New York, you'll have to go to a local party uh, headquarters to register that day and have to uh, sign something. But it's still very possible. Again, if you're overseas, uh, even if you're not active duty, you can still get that ballot in today uh, or in this week. And it's free to send that ballot in even if you're on the other side of the world. Um, But what we're really encouraging is everyone to get out and vote first and foremost, but do so informed. So research who your candidates are, and um, we've got a link over on our website on uh to all of the, 100 and, uh, the 172 veterans who are running. So you'll be able to see who is who is a veteran who's running out there, and uh, most congressional districts not do have a veteran as a candidate. Um, we're not – We're not saying vote for them just because they're a veteran, though. We're saying keep that in mind, have that as something that you're considering, but research and find out where they really stand on the issues.
1: As I said, uh, well, when I say fringe candidates and then I talk about the pants on the ground guy, the the pull up your pants party guy, these aren't quite, as Joe said, the majority of them won their primaries. Some of them are just so far behind that they're not going to win. But we are going to see an influx of veterans into Congress. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And when it does happen, Joe Shinelli and the team at AMVETS will be keeping an eye on everything they do. And Joe, if people are interested in finding out more about your organization, where do they go to do so?
2: Please find us online at AMVETS.org or on any social media platform at AMVETS HQ.
1: And you've been listening to The Morning Briefing, Thursday, October 25th edition. I've been your host, Eric Dame. Coming up tomorrow... We're going to talk to Syracuse University's Huse. Institute for Veteran and Military Families about Day of the Deployed. It's the National Day of Deployed tomorrow. It's an actual nationally recognized day to focus on those who are currently deployed. We're going to talk to IVMF about how that affects those deployed service members and just as importantly, their families. So, you can look forward to that tomorrow and then after that, you can look forward to the weekend. And then I guess Monday, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's just finish this up. Morning briefing coming to a close. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today